Welcome to the Guys Drinking Tea Podcast. If that sounds like a casual conversation to you, then you're absolutely right. We decided to start this podcast because, frankly, we just love talking about the scriptures and exploring how they interact with our everyday lives. These are the kind of conversations we were having in the hallway anyway every week, so we decided to turn on a camera and a microphone and let you listen in. If this content's helpful to you, then we would greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review in your podcast service, hop over on YouTube, subscribe to us there, like, comment, share with friends, all of those things. Without any further ado, let's dive into another sometimes meandering conversation about the scriptures and life. Well, hello, everybody in podcast land and YouTube land and Facebook land. Uh, it's good to see all of you. Alex will be here in just a moment, but we had a crisis of tea. Uh, we did not have any milk for tea time today, so he ran to our food bank to see if he could find some milk um, to redeem tea time, and he will be here momentarily to, to rescue the day. Uh, but while he's coming, uh, I'm going to say what I think we're going to talk about, <laughs> and... Um, then, uh, when he gets here, maybe we'll find out what we're actually going to talk about. No, just joking. He's coming. He, there, he's yelling in the background that he's on his way. Almost ready. I've got the tea stuff in here. Um, this one. Uh, let's see. Do we have audio? We have audio. I think we're streaming. And yeah, we're live. And there's milk. Yeah. I just found. All right, so I'm trying to pull up my notes here because I made some promises on Sunday. You did? I did. Um, about what we were going to be talking about today. And I made a list. I just want to make sure I don't miss the list. All right, well, I've got the list over here too. So. Well, and, and last week you podcasted with Jessica. I did. And the week before I podcasted with Teresa. And now we are reunited after we're back together. Many, many weeks of not drinking tea together. And in that time, you've added to the church population size. You've taken church growth very seriously and have an extra child. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> this is how we do church growth yeah. at South Fellowship Church. I'm Our strategy is, uh, is, is uh, every staff person has to have a baby. <laughs> uh, don't tell the rest of the staff that yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. know yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, um, it's a strategy that we're going to unveil soon. <laughs> so it turns out three tea bags isn't sufficient for this kettle. This this teapot. Teapot. Yeah, sorry. that might be true. It's a little and, weak. And then maybe again. the wrong types of tea bags. Yeah, are, are like can, both of us have gar gargantuan boxes of PG tips. Both of us forget them every week. So, all right. Mm -hmm. So t on today's episode, I promised you if you came on Sunday, um, I, I preached. Sunday. Yeah, and I heard. It and and I just had too much to say, so I did two things with that. One, I went really long. That was just actually, that was just, just because I love Alex and I wanted to make sure that you guys missed him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other thing I did with the too many things I had to say is I said I was gonna commandeer our tea time to share a bunch more stuff. I'm just gonna get it. I'm gonna go seat and sit back and just, just relax sit back and, and I'm just gonna keep on preaching. Let's go, round so two. If, if 40, 47, 48 minutes wasn't long enough for you, <laughs> then buckle up, people. Um, There's more to come. There is more to come. So uh, I'm just going to pull up my notes here since I had it. Yeah, it's not going to be a thing. All right. I had a list. I promise, people. I had a list. So what we're talking about today is um, on Sunday, we talked about corporate singing and the reason I felt like it was a dangerous and probably foolish for me to preach the message was because it was like me trying to summarize everything I've ever thought about my vocation for the last, the last how many years? 10 years at, least. at South. And then I've been leading worship since I was in high and, school. And is it, is it also like, so it's, it's been a long time for you, but it's also, would it be fair to say the most consistent practice in the church worldwide in its life? time like in 2000 years mm. the thing that we have consistently done is sung together like the early christian communities that had been jewish they sang together they would sing psalms they would sing totally. hymns. like even before there was a text to read 
um, before there was the New Testament, at least, before yeah. there was formalized prayers, all those different things, there was singing. So on that subject, uh, I, I had a confession on Sunday. I, t- I explained to the congregation that singing and music isn't one of my f- primary, my first choice when it comes to personal devotion life and spiritual formation. And a lot of people told me after the fact, that was shocking to me because yeah. you seem like a creative. It, there were uh, other people thought they were shocked by the fact that I'm much more left brain, much more analytical mm-hmm. and probably less right brain, which is more on the creative side. Um, and so that surprised them. But a, a new confession that I didn't share on Sunday, which is I've actually gone through seasons of ministry at South where I doubted the validity of my own ministry. Oh man. Like, should we really be doing this? Like, is this really, and this is, um, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't terrify some of you out there that you're That's like, your pastor no, doesn't even, no, no lead pastor no ever. No preacher has ever said that. Like no that. preachers <laughs> ever doubted the validity of preaching ever. Um, <laughs> no, but I was just like, you know, it's like the, the stage and the sound and all the lights and like, is this really what it's about? And like, do people actually, like this and Mm. is it actually beneficial like is it really truly beneficial for formation so this sermon i i'd reconciled a lot of that in my soul um uh over the last several years but then preparing for this message it was like this massive gift to me as a Mm. worship pastor because i started going through um, Paul's letters, and I realized Paul has a pretty robust mm. theology of corporate singing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, this is actually, Paul's like, it's one of the things he tends to, like, he Paul tacks on at the end of his letters certain common themes. This is one of them. Mm. Hey, by the way, make sure you guys are singing yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, spiritual um, songs, that, and don't ruin it. Yeah. Like, when, he's, when they're doing things to ruin it, it's like, you guys are ruining this thing. Like, yeah. What's wrong with you? This is the good stuff. Like yeah. so anyway, that was a gift to me, but it is a, a really significant part of the of the church's history all the way since the foundation mm. of the early church and prior with the Jewish people. Um so one of the things that we're going to talk about today is the fact that I preached a message about corporate singing and didn't reference the Psalms once. Wow. That's impressive. Is that blasphemy? Yeah, I don't know, it might be. David might be offended. So I know. David's like, wait a second. I wrote a songbook yeah. in the Bible, and Aaron somehow managed to skirt mm. the entire book. Someone said David was the greatest songwriter that ever lived, but Charles Wesley was born afterwards. So, oh, look at that. He it would have been in the Bible if it had been. If only. Yeah. Um, so what I promised on Sunday is I have a whole lot of things on my mind and my heart about how and why we do certain things the way we do them at South. Mm. And my hunch is, so if, you, if you're if you not a like South Fellowship Church attender you're and you're listening selfie. to this and you're, and you're listening to our podcast, first of all, how did you find us out about yeah. us? Like our brandings, yeah, like, yeah. Did you just Google guys drinking tea and then some, anyway. Maybe. Who knows yeah. how you found us. But this is gonna be much more, a lot of the content will be much more dedicated to how South does this. And maybe there's some insight for uh, you and your church environments, but um, I, I promise to talk about volume. <laughs> I promise to talk about old songs versus new songs. Oh, I promise to talk about um, repetitive songs versus theologically rich songs. Wow. I talked. To, I wanted. I wanted to talk about emotion, emotional music versus cognitive music. I'm just going to call my assistant and cancel my one o'clock. You should. We've only got two you could just walk. You could just walk out right now. I'm just going to fly through them, uh, hopefully, and uh, and then maybe you can challenge me. And maybe oh, wait. Yeah. So let's go. Any any. So any thoughts initially on some of this no, stuff? No, I'm excited. I, I mean, I there were things I felt that, bad commandeering because you weren't I'm even here to, like, to like object. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't even know if I need to be here. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm going to, I'm going to provide your usual role of like, what, what about this? What about this? What about yeah. This? What about the little, yeah. You, you play devil's advocate. Could you be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Singing's like no, bad. what? Singing's evil. Yeah. How dare you? Um, any other thoughts that you wanted to cover? I, so, there was so, actually one thing that you wanted to, because you were going to preach this message, and that's, you were talking about some of the times the difficulty of singing corporately. Yes. And th- I did a ton of research on that. There's actually so many passages about some of that, mm. or not so many. There's yeah. few, 
There's yeah. even a proverb that says literally like the singing for the brokenhearted is like painful. Yes. What's yeah, I think that proverb? was intriguing to me. Yeah. Like just in a corporate setting, most of us have had times where we've walked into a church service, a gathering and sung with ease and joy. And some of us have walked in and we've had to sing out of choice and intention. And then there's been other times where we've walked in and said, I just can't sing today. Hmm. I just don't have it in me. And, and I suspect that depending on your church environment, you've probably been made to feel pretty bad about that. Like hmm. the, there's, there's probably a bit of guilt that like, you know, well, you know, why aren't you singing louder or like, you know, yeah. And yeah, which I added to on Sunday. Yes, I love it. Um, <laughs> but but I think somewhere there is that beauty of if if singing is a community thing that God hears us together, then there's sometimes that you come and you sing with joy, and sometimes that you come and you sing with sorrow and yet with hope. And then there's other times that you come and you sing and you find almost you can't sing, mm -hmm. and we sing for you and around you and with you. Yeah, and that that in itself is a, a beautiful picture of community. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's like a whole, because like, I, I mean, I could have taken the message much more like, and what's the function? How do different songs serve a church? Like mm. you have some people who just, they need a creative medium like music to help them express how delighted they yeah, are yeah. in God. And and they're overflowing. And so one of the one of the jobs I feel like I have as the, as the, a worship pastor at South is to make sure that we have a repertoire of songs that fit that space yeah. for our community. And then there's also people who walk in who are just devastated. They've gone through some mm. horrific thing or they're just doubting or whatever. Mm. And I wanna make sure that that we've, as a community, sung certain songs that help them lament well so that their soul has access to an artistic means of expression of sorrow, lament, mm. grief, pain, doubt, all of these kinds of things. And so when, it, you know, this is some of the things we could have talked about in yeah. the message. So. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. Let's go then. Yeah. Let's keep moving. Yeah, by the way, on the subject you were talking about, like it, Proverbs 25, 20 says, whoever sings songs to the heavy hearted is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. Wow. Exactly what you were saying is like this idea. Sometimes we walk into the room and we're so heavy and other people are singing. It's mm. almost like pouring salt on the wound mm. or in this case, like mm. taking off your coat on a frigid day. Wow. It's just, just, it just almost makes things worse. Mm. Um, that's a thing wow. that we didn't even talk about. No, we didn't even get there. Yeah. Anyway. So, mm. well, feel free to so jump in and interject. Volume? Like, volume. What the heck what are the we he thinking? Yeah. Um, can we make it louder? Um, sure. Why not? <laughs> so volume in the church, I get this. Uh, this is actually, I've got a document that if you're interested, you can look up this whole document. We have a sort of a policy or a best practices document mm -hmm. that I wrote up several years ago about the volume at South. Um, I've had people ask me. Wait, hold me, on. People haven't just started complaining about the volume since I got there. No. It's been a longer thing. It's not my It thing. is. Did you know that volume is actually quieter now than it used to I be? I did not know that. Yeah. I'm going to say complaining. I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean mentioning. Yeah. Um, and so I get it. So here's the concerns that most people have. Uh, so there's two sides of the argument, obviously. Um, some people uh, think that oh, we're just not getting the fullness that we want. Mm. It just feels like it's a little bit shallow. Or it's mm. not full as I would like it. And then others, people, other people think like, this is just downright painful. And I want to engage in everything Aaron preached about. Mm. I would like to sing with my community, but it just yeah. hurts. And I, it, I'm not going to engage in it if it's painful. Mm. And I hear that. And that, and because of that, I've spent a lot of time thinking about like, all right, Lord, what is the balancing point for our community and we may decide in the future that the balancing point shifts slightly one way way or another, but uh, for better or for worse, my aim is uh, to sort of shoot in the middle, which means it's not gonna make everybody as comfortable as they would like, uh, basically make no one as comfortable as they yeah, would like. Yeah, that, and that, then when we're talking about something that is a preference, that seems like 
you know, the, the, there's principles in church that you say, no, no, we're doing this because there's a principle here. But but you can't go with the principle of I'm going to make everybody happy because that doesn't exist. That's an impossibility that doesn't exist. So like, totally. I love that. Yeah, there's the somewhere there's the we're, we're trying to land somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And so that so here's here was my thought process. And there's a couple different variables of this. And some of this is just leadership principles and some of it's actually audio principles related to this one we we choose to be below a decibel level that's dangerous mm. period and so some people disagree with me on that they're like i've researched that this number of decibels is dangerous but most of the time in the fine print you read like okay let's say 96 decibels is dangerous for the ears okay that might be the case but you you have to be at a constant 96 mm -hmm. decibels yeah. for 35 minutes to two hours for it to damage your ears. And we might hit 96 de decibels on a Sunday, but it's for like two seconds per song. Yes. And yeah. we even try and avoid that number, by the way. But so it's, I've done all the research on what's safe and what's dangerous and stuff. And we we take measurements on Sunday mornings. Um, challenge my team to take measurements every week. Ho hopefully that takes place, but I can ask them and most of them are able to tell me. So I try and make check in from yeah, time yeah. to time. Where are we at today? Like, are we in the safe range um, for what our decibel limits are and that we're safe for the human ear? Because um, we don't want to damage anyone when they yeah, come to and corporate worship. and that's pretty worship. reasonable. I, I was at a church once where the lead pastor said, like, we, I want the decibel level to stay under 75. And, and I was like, that's actually just not possible. Like, it just like, that's if you've got an acoustic drum kit, you might as well throw it out the window if you want to keep it under 75. Like, we're probably 75 right now. Yeah. All right, so I've got a, in this document, if you're interested to read this research, in this document, I have decibel levels um, that are dangerous. At 115 decibels for 15 minutes per day. Yeah. Like, that could be dangerous. And so if you're like, and we're talking 15 solid yeah, minutes. Yeah, like the, the nonstop sound, like just 15 like, yeah. minutes at 115 decibels. I think, by the way, we've only hit that once, and it was actually on a 35th anniversary celebration choir that hit 115 decibels what? at South. That was the loudest Sunday at South, was our 35th celebration. We had an orchestra and a choir, and it was just, no one complained, by the way, mm -hmm. um, but that's a different issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 30 minutes at 100 decibels. A one hour at 105 decibels, one and a half hours at 102 decibels. And so like, and, and three hours per day at mm. 97 decibels. So um, theoretically we shoot to basically be, you could be at a constant 97 decibels. For three hours. For, well, no, at our, in our, in our sanctuary, like if we had a three hour worship service, it wouldn't even begin to yeah, 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 get yeah, yeah, approached yeah. to yeah. dangerous. So that's the science behind the safety of it. Um, the leadership decision side of this thing is the the people, uh, there's there's some principles that I've learned over the years uh, being a pastor at church that um, is just an observation that I, I would make. Uh, generally speaking, um, a younger demographic tends to, when they are frustrated about something, they don't even mention it, they just disappear. Mm. They silently exit a community when wow. something doesn't go well, or it's not reaching the edge. And the only time they'll mention their preference is if you reach out to them and you ask them, How's, by the way, like, what do you think about the volume mm. levels at South? And they're like, oh my gosh, it's like so shallow, so yeah. quiet, whatever. Um, or you, you ask them about various things like that and they'll mention it, but their mode of complaint is to disappear. Hmm. And um, and then some other uh, older generations, they tend, they're more invested in a community. And this is actually one of the things I love about that is they're more invested and so they'll stay and complain. Hmm. Um, and I used to, when I first came at South, I like that hearing complaints about volume and that sort of thing used to rub me wrong now, when someone approaches me and says, I'm really struggling with this thing, I actually 
prefer that than the silent exit mm. because it means they're committed to a community enough to renovate it from the inside Absolutely, out. Absolutely, yeah. I love that. So That's a big deal. I love having that conversation, coming together, talking through the options, seeing if there's anything we can do it. They might try, they may actually shift my perspective mm. about something and change the shape of South Fellowship Church because they stayed and they commented. Um, the folks who might be behind the scenes, you know, bickering with their friends, that's not helpful. But coming to me and saying, what's what's up with this? Why do we do it this mm. way? That is actually, I, I have a massive heart for people who have the bravery to try and transform their community from mm. the inside out. So, but also know if, if that's you and you're in the community and you're just like, why can't we just turn it down? The only complaints we ever get is the loud ones. Look around the room and say, "Are your are your grandkids here? Are your kids here? Mm. Would they come here?" And mm. they may never tell you why. They may not even be able to articulate some of the reasons why they wouldn't want to be part of our music environment. But if you were to ask them directly, "Oh, it's just not as good." What do you mean by that? Well, it, might, it may not be as full sounding or whatever it may be. Um, so. That's more of a leadership side of that. Mm. So that's why, even though I may not get as many complaints about it being too quiet, I still am, my target is the f a full sound at as low a decibel possible. That's my aim. As full of a sound as possible at a low, as low a decibel as possible. That's what our sound engineers, we are targeting. Mm. So that's volume. I love it. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I love the thought you, you put into it. And, and there is, just by nature, there's a huge preference element to this. Totally. Um, and, and, and I think if you prefer a, a quieter volume, whether it's a medical thing, whether it's just a preference thing, I think there is this assumption, well, it doesn't matter to people that like it loud if it's quieter. Like mm -hmm. it only matters to me who likes it quieter, that it's not loud. Yeah. And yet you're right. Like there's an exodus. There's a, uh, a voting with your feet of, no, this just isn't, isn't giving me. So it is, a, it is a genuine need to meet halfway, not yeah. just a, just, yeah. Yeah. And they in this, deal with in it. this document, I also did research about different genres. Cause the other thing I've learned, because after I got over my pride and I would hear people's complaints and I learned to actually like, genuinely invite them because I was like, oh, this person's staying. Mm. They love this community and they love so much that they're willing to stay and have a hard conversation. Yeah, yeah. I get it. That's a hard conversation to approach a pastor and to bring a, a preference to. So after I got over that, I, I started doing some, some asking more questions. And what I found is there, the specifics about the complaint tend to be all over the map. Mm. I would say, well, tell me, like, tell me more. Is mm. it the low stuff, like the subwoofers that it like rumbles you mm -hmm. and that's frustrating? Um, is it the electric guitar? Is it the high, is it piercing? Is it, and the answer is different every time. Yeah. So then it became really hard for me to um, narrow down. So I'd ask multiple people at, over the years as they've done and, and one, I even had a couple come to me and she's like, oh, it's definitely the low thing. It almost makes me sick to my stomach, the mm. low end stuff. And he's like, no, 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 it's definitely the electric guitar. It's that mid range. I was like, eh, eh, that in middle se section. And what I've learned is that um, one, it's a massive preference thing. Uh, some of it's genre. Mm. And then uh, uh, the other thing is it is different. The balance between lows, mids and highs, if it gets out of balance, it's perceived as louder, even if it actually wow. at a decibel meter isn't. So if the lows are a little bit too loud in the mix, um, and then there's very little mids and then a lot of highs, you're like, it's too loud. But then weirdly, I actually did this one Sunday, one, I after talking week in and week out with one of these uh, families who was really just struggling, was like sort of painful. We actually turned the electric guitar up and that was all the difference. Wow. They were like, oh, that's so much better because what was missing was the mid range where an electric guitar sits that makes it feel mm. balanced and comfortable for the human this ear. This just shows why like, and this is where some of the value of like the wonderful sound people that we have and stuff totally. are and, like the, the team at church front that we've worked with. Like, 
people like Eric Schmidt pouring years, Carolyn Schmidt pouring years into the process. Someone once sent me an article once about how lead pastors needed to appreciate more the people behind the tech booth. Like they were like, these guys are basically making it possible for people to tolerate you and to hear you and all of those <laughs> tolerate you. And yeah. yeah. I was like, wow, like, yes, that's true. And, yeah. and I remember a moment I had um, back in a church I was pastoring in New York and we had a young guy that came and he just tore everything apart. Like he was wonderful. Like he was a YouTube guy, just creating all of this different stuff. And, and, and he, changed all of our system, which had been fairly horrific and was supposed to run sound that week, got into a car accident, uh, broke his fibula, was in hospital for two days. And, and that morning I was like, man, nobody's going to know how to handle this system. It's going to sound terrible. And it did for about the first four minutes. And, and, then, and, and then I stood there listening as everything just got better and just slowly became this beautiful sound. And I turned around and Will had like hobbled in on his crutches with his broken leg and was stood at the back mixing. <laughs> Making sound. it all better. Yeah. And, it and just... yeah, sound engineering. I, I mean, I've learned a lot over the years. I've taken courses. I helped. I didn't, Eric did most of the work and Jake did most of the work between this, but I helped build a lot of our system. system. I understand it inside and out. And then when I ever run the board, it is 10 times harder to mix sound than you think it is. <laughs> yeah. So if you're just like, you know, just turn up the thing. Yeah, yeah, just, just that's not a, that's not how like... easy it is. Um because instead what you might actually need to do is turn everything else down in order don't turn up electric, yeah. turn everything else down or turn up the like who knows or maybe it's an EQ, there's a frequency that's bad on that particular guitar mm. and how do I access that? Oh, we need more compression, we need less compression, yeah. we need the reverb, it's not sustaining enough like it's a whole world. Yeah, and that's just, hard. just a tiny it's, little picture of like how difficult it is. Like even if you just like you're someone who's like, I know how to operate a television. Go into those detailed settings with color and like contrast and all those different things, and very quickly, unless you know what you're doing, you get a little bit lost as to like what what is a good. Picture. And then you just like go back to default settings. Default the setting. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think for some of us in church, we just feel, oh yeah, it's just simple. Like I know how to work a volume knob on a, on a stereo like, yeah isn't that what they're doing like just a few different volume knobs maybe four or five of them and it's so complex yeah so like a, a, a couple other notes on volume and then we can move on to the next subject matter but um i also in the same document if you're interested to see it uh reach out let me know uh you can find my information and, and i'll get you this document we also have it uh, a few copies in our sound booth at most times i also did research on some genre things because i also noticed like um did you know that in an orchestra, most, if you're a player in an orchestra, you have a higher potential of damaging your eardrums than if you attend South Fellowship Church. Wow. If you're a flautist, if you play the flute in an orchestra, term, by the way. your own instrument is between 92 and 105 decibels for the entire, like when you're playing. And so that's way higher than we run on a Sunday mm. morning if you're a flute player in an orchestra. And an, an orchestra itself uh, at full tilt runs somewhere between uh, 95 and 110 decibels. That's almost like going to a Rush concert or wow. something. So an orchestra is loud. But what I found is like, if you listen to a certain genre of music a lot, your eardrums actually start to become more comfortable with certain frequencies. You're also listening to a mixed and mastered studio version that has eliminated any dangerous or any annoying frequencies. Mm. And that's all done for hours and hours yeah, and hours and hours in post-production. And so um, people get used to hearing exceptionally mastered tracks and then when you're trying to reproduce that live it's just exceptionally hard mm. and so the other piece about volume is like um in order to get everything heard i've had people complain i never really hear your acoustic mm. or i never really hear the electric or i never really hear the piano it's not as simple as just so if i turn the piano up like let's say someone's like i really love piano i wish we had the piano louder on most sundays if you turn the piano up then those frequencies start to compete with the articulation of vowels and consonants of the singer. And so I can hear piano, but now I'm struggling to understand the enunciation of the lead, the worship leader. Mm. 
And so it all of the instruments start to sit in this frequency landscape that if you turn one up, it's it's like pushing everything else out of whack. So it is a tight rope walk. And I we do our best at South to walk that tight rope because we love you and we try our best. So um and we don't get it right all the and time. And in amongst like part of the challenge of South, as I understand it, is this strange building that we've been gifted. Totally. And we love it and we're where we're supposed to be, but it was designed to have shelves with dry goods on and produce and all these different things. It wasn't designed to be a worship space. Totally. Uh, and uh, over the years, since I've been here, we've done a few different renovations. Those things have helped, mm. but they haven't solved everything. We have a pretty old PA system actually mm. that eliminates. Uh, so one of the things you can do is if you're struggling, um, try just sitting in different places on a Sunday morning and it may sound slightly different in different places. We try and mitigate that, but with the speaker system that we currently have, it's pretty difficult difficult to get an even balanced, which is the key to volume perception, mm. even and balanced mixed in every chair in the room. It's just, we just don't have the equipment currently to do that kind of mm. thing yet. And I feel like our team uh, between Eric and Jake and Adam and Ashton and Ed um, and these different guys who mix, they have like bled every ounce of potential out of our system over the last, uh, you know, four or five years to get us to the place that we are. And then we have some limitations beyond that. Mm. So there's volume. Mm -hmm. I love it. We understand volume. Moving on. We're right. at 31, 31 minutes. So I'm just going to, go, the rest of them, I think that's one of the biggest ones. Yeah. So that's why I spent more time on it. Um, Next subject is old versus new songs. This one hopefully will be more quick. Uh, I wish we sang more hymns. I wish we sang less hymns or whatever. Again, the same principle of young, old, like some folks, the younger demographic, and this is generalizations. They tend, if they don't like some of the songs, they'll just disappear, go to a place that they do like. Um, so uh, we sing old songs because we're part of an ancient faith. And, uh, and, Old songs have the ability to declare God's faithfulness to his people like nothing else. Mm. Like his God's faithfulness in the past, um, be, it, it, there's a way of it declaring because God has preserved a song through the generations because it was it faithfully served another mm. generation. And then he tends to preserve that for the generations follow because it feels like we're part of this movement that's been going since the foundations of the world. That's one of the reasons why we sing new songs. The other thing I was thinking about in this regard with old songs is um, old songs are like Ebenezer's. If you don't know what an Ebenezer is, it's in the Old Testament, God would occasionally, he would do something miraculous mm -hmm. or powerful. He'd show up in a faithful way and he'd say, I want you to set up a pile of stones. And every time you see those stones or every time your kids ask you, what's up with this pile of stones? I want you to tell the story of my faithfulness to my mm. people. And so a hymn when if let's say in a moment of sadness or crisis, you saying it is well with my soul, and it served your soul in a way. It be, it it's like erecting an Ebenezer in your soul. And as soon as you hear the first few refrains of "It is well," you are instantly turned back to that moment of God's faithfulness. You're ushered into the throne room. You're already fully in. Yes. Yeah, so this, this is fascinating to me. Like to jump in for a second. For a lot of people, you hear them say things like, "I, I wish we sang songs like this." And what they quite often do is point back to songs that are from a very formulative part of their... Yeah, we had this reason, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just that moment of like, oh, no, those are the songs that I mean. And when you look into it, you're like, but it's not because they're new or old. It's because, no, God was being God was they, moving yeah. in their life during that window. Yes. So I, I actually have songs like that that I never ask us to sing as a church, but I listen to in my office all the time, like, Early Matt Redmond stuff for me is just these this deep, emotional, spiritually forming time. Totally. And when I listen to them, it's just like, boom, straight back there. Totally. Um, They're enemies in your soul. And that's why I'm committed. We will do really, really old songs, medium old songs, because I know that for a congregation, 
some of those songs are just going to instantly bring them to the throne room of God. And they don't even like, do not pass, go, do not collect $200, like instantly in the throne room of God. And so we're committed to that. It's one of the best ways to declare. Yeah. When, when people ask me like what we do for worship at South uh, and and if they're outside of South, I'll be like, the beautiful thing is we can sing a 400 year old song next to a four week old song. And it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, We can also throw in something that isn't necessarily even, I'm going to use air quotes when people are listening audio or orally, but uh, like we don't, we also sing songs occasionally that aren't Christian or we use them in different ways. Yeah. Um, that, that just, when it makes sense, that invite yeah. people into different things. Um, so yeah, I, I love that as a practice. That's so fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Like we actually had a, an interesting occurrence recently with someone reached out and said, I really like a younger ish person who's like, I really feel like, our community would benefit from singing some newer songs. And I was like, well, okay, we, you know, that I knew that that particular Sunday I'd, I'd actually sing a song that was written the previous week. Yeah, <laughs> It was so new. I couldn't even find music for it yet. So I had to listen to it and chart it myself. And I was like, Oh, interesting new songs. Okay. So I asked them what, give me some songs that you think are new. And they gave me a whole bunch of songs from the nineties. I was like, huh, yeah. interesting. So new, newer than a hymn, but not new, new, because we were actually doing way newer songs yeah. than that on a Sunday. It was just a season that was particularly beneficial for this particular person. And hey, I have to interject here because our stream failed us a little bit again this week. And so um, it just glitched out for about five minutes of our conversation and it just, was unusable. So I'm just going to interject right now. Tell us, tell you what we were talking about during the section that it glitched out. And then it'll continue with my conversation with Alex. Uh, during the section that we were uh, glitching out, I was explaining the power of old songs versus new songs and that sort of thing. And I made a few statements around new songs. The statement is the new songs. We sing new songs because God isn't get dead. And he is, um, still giving songs to his church globally. And, and it's a declaration of the resurrection. When we sing a new song, it's, it's a declaration that God isn't dead. His spirit is still moving in the church today. He is creating new Ebenezer's in people's souls to um, serve them in different seasons of their life. And that's why we continually will sing new songs at our church Um then Alex interjected and asked me, whoa, whoa, wait, what about songs written within our church? Because we have a few songs we've done here at South that are sort of special or songs that were written from within our body versus these songs that were written by professionals. He asked me this question and I said, we don't do a lot of internal songs, partially because I feel like uh, in our day and age, there's this beautiful gift that we have, which is there's this like, I'm out of focus here. There's this crucible that a song has to make its way through to sort of really land with the global church. Um, and we, I, I would love to do more internal writing of songs and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, I think it just takes, uh, it takes a song a lot of effort to get to the place where it's been vetted by a community um, by a, a group of songwriters. Most of the songs written nowadays that you hear in at South and on the radio and stuff have been written by a, a community of writers and that sort of thing. And then it sort of makes its way through this like global church vetter, vetting process that no one even is consciously aware of. But And some of those songs, like 10,000 Reasons, I think will stand the test of time. Um, anyway, I think it's something powerful when a song wells up from within, um, but uh, I think that it's wise for those internal songs to go through sort of an internal community vetting process um, where it's like a community of writers. And then, um, yeah, it's it's hard to compete with a song that's been written by a community of professional writers that then is professionally produced and then goes through a vetting process through the global church where the song like either resonates or doesn't globally and then it's almost like the spirit of God sort of oversees this process and certain songs like rise to the surface. So that was part of my answer to that question. Uh, then Alex pointed out that South, you actually vet the songs that we do at South. 
Um, just by the way that you respond to a lot of the stuff that we do, he told the story about the song Graves into Gardens. Uh, the last few years at Easter, we've we've done sort of a special emphasis song for Easter services and uh, Graves into Gardens was one that just like, it just came alive. For some reason, you as a community just really adopted that song. And then another year uh, we did uh, 1,000 or um, 1,000 Hallelujahs for Easter and it just didn't quite land the way, at least not for Easter, it didn't land with the community quite the same way as I hoped it would or in the same part of a service that I hoped it would. And it was good, but it just, you kind of vetted that song out. And then later that song came back around to the community and I found it works better in a different part of a service. And we've actually sung that song quite a bit. Um, but it happens all the time where I'll sing a song that I'm super excited about. Um, and then I'll bring it before you as a community. And then it just doesn't work. And I'll try it again the next week. And I'm all excited. You guys are going to love this one. And then for some reason, it's almost like, um, the whole community just, uh, and the spirit just tells me through the reaction of the community, this song isn't for this particular community. Every once in a while, there's a song that I feel is so important for us to be singing, whether it's about sorrow or grief or whatever, that I still, like, I push on it even harder, and I sort of almost exert some leadership to do that. Um, the other thing I mentioned during the glitching section was that I have, I do my best to set aside my personal preferences because I recognize that I have my own personal journey when it comes to music and I have songs that I love. And then I realize that those songs aren't necessarily what the community needs. They're songs where that really minister to me and I, and I need to avoid those songs because they're just not very congregationally singable um, or whatever, or it's just a genre that I don't think will land or whatever it may be. So I, I try and set aside my personal preference uh, as much as I can and pick a wide variety of subjects and song genres and stuff to serve an entire body of people who are in all different places. The last thing I'll mention is we started talking about seven eleven songs, seven words, 11 times. Um, Alex got a kick out of that concept, but uh, I talked about the value of repetition in music is that uh, it, it sort of sometimes takes that repetition to uh, really soften the heart. Um, and the advantage of repetition is that it, it, it's, it has this poetic way of softening a heart. You may not hear the subject of what you're singing about, and then it takes this repetition and this musical crescendo to like eventually deliver that message through a hardened heart and breakthrough. And then we're going to go back to our story, my conversation with Alex now, because I start telling a story about that with Brooklyn Tabernacle and this uh, this phrase that they sing over and over again in an example. So back to my story with Alex, and then we'll continue our conversation there. First time I heard the song, um, it was about 112 times in that suddenly the dam in my hard soul broke. Mm. And I suddenly realized, and I was just, I was instantly moved to tears, a hundred something times into saying, thou, O Lord, a shield for me. And I realized, oh, thou, are a shield for me, yeah. the glory and the lifter of my So that's the benefit of repetition is music is an emotional language. And sometimes repetition, the scriptures use repetition, the Psalms use repetition. So repetition isn't by default bad. Yeah. But, um, but, but what I think it's interesting, even people that would say we shouldn't sing songs that are repetitive would say, oh, but I've read the same passage over and over and over and over again. And finally it's clicked. Totally. Uh, uh, or I've read it and it clicked that time and then I read it and it's clicked uh -huh. in a totally different yeah, way yeah, yeah. and on and on and on and on. So, so I grew up Pentecostal, so I'm all for repetition, just so you know. Yeah. Personally, like we can we can sing fire, 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 fire fall on me for 20 minutes and I'm good. Yeah. Um, and I think that it the the risk of singing more verbose songs, which hymns tend to be and some modern hymns tend to be, and even theologically rich songs is like on Sunday, I talked about left brain, right brain. It engages a lot more left brain to, to be thinking about the lyrical content, which is great and beautiful. You're learning theology. That's actually where a lot of songwriters, mm. um, some of the reasons a lot of these great hymns were written was to teach theology to the illiterate. And that's beautiful and powerful and good. And that's, but that is not engaging the fullest mm. expression of what a human is supposed to engage in corporate singing. And so some of the more repetitive songs that are leveraging um, 
repetition, rhythm, dynamic range, these sorts of things, it's delivering the truth through a right brain kind of means to help your body experience the goodness of God in mm. a different way. And sometimes that's what needs to happen for your affections to be swelled. You can reference the um, uh, Jonathan Edwards quote I, I used in the sermon if you wanna know a little bit more about what he thought about that, who is a deep oh, theologian. Love it. All right, emotional music versus cognitive. I already talked about that. That's the same sort of thing. It's uh, Jonathan Edwards' argument was that the the sole function of corporate singing it, and the fact that we're using music to do it is to excite the affections. That's wow. one of the reasons why God gave his people this is we are not unidimensional creatures. Mm. We have emotions, we have minds, we have bodies, we have souls, we have these different things. And yep. we, we tend to, especially in the Western evangelical, maybe slightly more heady um, cognitive kind of churches, we tend to avoid the spirit of God touching all of the self. Mm -hmm. He's only allowed in my brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, don't, it, don't let him mess with my body because I want to eat what I want to eat. Yeah, I want to do. Don't let him mess with my so, my emotions. Totally. Um, and so, music has a way of letting God's work invade all of your body, all of yourself, not just your brain. And I remember we we had a bunch of guys uh, from a church I was at years ago go to a, uh, a worship leader training session, and the guy there was like, "Watch what happens with the crowd when I switch to a minor key." Like everyone's going to get suddenly more. Now you could say that's manipulation. On the other hand, you could say, isn't it incredible that God wired human beings that some movement of music moves us? Totally. Like it just, it, it that's, does. That's been one of the things that's terrified me. It, like it, there are times where with my stage presence mm. and the and the leveraging of this insanely powerful medium of music, I can just, at a whim, shift the entire emotional state of an entire room. That's scary to me. And I've actually asked God, is that even right? Great is that okay? Is that whatever? And he's like, Aaron, it just is. This is one of the things I've wrestled with. Like, Aaron, that just is. I made people that way. Um, use it to magnify my name. And I try my best to do that. And and I think the it would be a shame not to leverage all of that because God gave it to the church for a reason. Mm, so uh, last thing I'll mention would be quality versus authenticity. There's some people who are like, it's become too much of a show, the lights, no. the, the where's thing, like it's not about just Jesus. And it shouldn't, we shouldn't need the quality, Ab absolutely. But that's, I think that's naive to believe that quality doesn't affect you. And I know mature believers, really people who are getting after it, walking with Jesus intentionally, they are going to find a way to worship no matter what. They, they could walk in, it could be a horrible vocalist, horrible band, and because they're all in on Jesus, they're going to find a way to use that to help them worship the God that they love. But not everyone who walks in the church is in that place. And so um, some of them need the steward, the tour guide of quality music to help them suddenly wake up to the goodness of God. Mm. And so we strive to be authentic. We're not gonna be all about the show, but we're not gonna also be naive to think that that stuff isn't important to the human experience. Mm. It's important in every other area of your life, whether you wanna admit it or not, why not in corporate worship in a church? So. There's my list. Anything else you want to cover? Oh man, I think like well, fifty minutes. So I, I, I think one. I just loved like how you just talked like breadth about all of these different elements. Uh, I think the thing that stands out to me that I, that I hope that we grasp as a community from it all is the corporate nature of it. Y yes, there is a there is a tendency in us to think about this as an individual thing based on my preference, based on my demographic, based on all of these different elements. And yet what we're actually doing is we're coming together and we're putting aside a lot of those things. And we as a community are directing something to, to the God of the universe. Yeah. Uh, and that somewhere he hears us both individually and corporately. Yeah. And that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, I, gosh, I wanted to do so many like examples. Mm. Like I wanted to show videos of different worship gatherings mm. and like the movement of people on stage affects us. The 
music affects us, the language mm. affects us, the lighting affects us. Like we are such integrated beings that like the worship of our neighbor either amplifies or decreases. Oh yeah, it's like, we're just, we're holistic beings and God knows that mm. and he wants to use it all. But in order for us to be, be who we need to be as a church family, it is not on all it's all on me no. and it is not all on my on the band and our worship leaders uh what god wants for south fellowship church's corporate worship is a community effort that mm. we're going to sing in a different way and, and i think one of the things i like i i'm probably one of the more physically demonstrative people within the community like i love to get into worship i think what a lot of people don't realize is how often that's an intentional practice not just a felt emotion. Totally. Um, like that. The, Same that's, with me. Yeah, that's like a. I am here, and I am, and and so many similarities with with how we listen to sermons, with how we sing together. Like there's two different postures in some ways. There's a there's the posture that that comes and says, impress me, entertain me, get me involved if you can. I'm here. I'm maybe willing, but I'm like, yeah, I'm skeptical. Or there's the posture that comes that says, I'm going to get everything that I can out of this and I'm going to give everything of myself to this. Yeah. And those are very different things. Yeah. There's a, there's a guy in our community, uh, older guy. I, I don't know if he wants me to tell the story, so I won't give his name, but he uh, is so all in. And he's actually told me how frustrated he gets that more of the congregation isn't engaged. He, he's an older guy, retired, all this stuff, but he is all in and he's not a particularly musical guy. He's not a particularly rhythmic guy, but he shows up with the intention mm. to lead worship yeah. from the congregation. I so he's it. up there. He's like, I just, sometimes even on slow songs, he's like, come on people, we need mm. to get into this. And um, just imagine a community where everyone sort of showed up with the intention to lead their, yeah. their neighbor to the throne room of God, the vibrancy. We could talk about the number of people in the room. We're affected by that. Like mm. a fuller room feels more yeah, spiritual. Easter with 300 and whatever people per I, service. You could say that's, oh, that's so immature. Like really, really? No, we're just humans. God made us to be affected by each other. Mm. A full room has a higher potential of encountering or feeling the spirit mm. of God than an empty room. And you may say that's not, no, that's not appropriate. Um, it just is, and we could talk about the mechanisms. I have a whole other talk I could do about it. And I think I would add to that, like uh, an empty room requires more intentionality by the people, and that's not always something that we bring. Totally. So you hear all these stories about individual prisoners in prison cells experiencing the presence of God in countries of persecution in incredible totally. ways. Um, yeah. But they bring a specific intention. But totally. we often, if we're honest, we're not coming unwilling to be swayed by the ambience and everything. Yep. So. Well, anyway, yeah, I've gone way too long. It was fun. I, I didn't even so talk into our, our liturgy philosophy. I didn't even we, talk about why I pick songs the way I pick them. Can but. we say now that your sermon this week was an hour and 40 minutes? Absolutely. We can say that. And so on Sunday, when, when Alex preaches on time, you can just be like, thank God Aaron yeah. is not I'm preaching. Gonna, just to make it really <laughs> obvious, I'm going to go 25 minutes on Sunday. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we love you, everyone. Oh, we're not streaming to Facebook for some reason. Oh. Bummer, dude. All right. Anyway, we love you. You Catch y'all next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this, so feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing, and we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.